Because of the coronavirus epidemic and to respect social distancing guidelines, this episode of Civil Politics was recorded remotely over Zoom. Good evening and welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow, the uh, ever self-absorbed host of the show, joined by my plucky sidekicks, John Roberts and Sue Timberlake. I have literally yeah. never been described as plucky. I don't know where you're getting that. <laughs> plucky? Well, really? Maybe, maybe just plucked. <laughs> Because you don't really have any feathers, so. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, God. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, uh, on that uh, uh, uplifting note, I just want to welcome our guest tonight, uh, Mark Warner, uh, the second of the two candidates uh, for the to be mayor of Northampton in the upcoming November 2nd election. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Warner, is, Mark, is uh, the president of the Warner Transportation Consulting Firm since the year I graduated from college, 1992. Uh, and I guess they do work all over the United States and even in other countries. Um, he's served on uh, uh, four committee, city committees in Northampton, including the Charter Revision Committee in 2012 that made major changes to the structures of the city government, overdue since it hadn't been done since the 19th century. And also uh, he serves as the uh, a board member and treasurer of Common Cause of Massachusetts. Uh, Doing what uh, the, the 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 Lord's work of keeping uh, politicians uh, at least semi-accountable and uh, 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 honest. So that's all good stuff. <laughs> so before we get into that, because uh, uh, we do indeed have questions, but I just like to say, as always, we love to hear from our listeners. So uh, if you would like to uh, get in touch with us, we have a new email, which is contact at civilpoliticsradio.com. Is that right, John? That's correct. Excellent. Well done, me. And uh, on Twitter, we're at civilpoliticsfm, as in frequency modulation, because radio. And uh, we're facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio if the uh, whistleblower hasn't uh, driven you off there entirely. Uh, (laughs) Our website is civilpoliticsradio.com, and that is uh, where you can find recordings of this episode and previous episodes of the show, including some supplemental episodes we've done, like I did a recent follow-up interview with uh, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, because I wanted to pick her brain, uh, find out about the experience of uh, actually being in the Electoral College. Uh, kind of fun, actually. So, uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for me. And I swear, no, I'm totally going to take a back seat on this episode. And uh, over to you, Sue. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> well, sorry. For the, for Should the, I vamp some more? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I I just didn't really prepare questions. But full disclosure, I mentioned this before we went on the air that Mark and I were on a, um, a city uh, committee together, the parking committee, and you know we made all sorts of recommendations. And it was a, it was a long time ago, so um, I'll try and not be too biased here. Um, so, Mark, it's a so, pleasure to I just, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm taking back, but I'm just like, what exactly did you guys do on the parking committee? Just very briefly, you know, cause like, you know, I can respond to that one. So if you want, yeah, please. <laughs> well, <if> I, <laughs> we mostly, I can go 
Yeah, well, we put up cameras and we actually looked at the parking patterns in downtown Northampton and discovered that it fills up at noon and it fills up again between four and about six when the meters go off. And, you know, I think we made recommendations around how much it should charge and we did a lot of different stuff. Um, and then they took it under advisement. So I don't know. Is that a good characterization? I don't know. You, you, well, you have better of- details. The one kind of fun piece you left off there, Sue, is it wasn't just cameras. It was actually a still, uh, it was a time was a, delay. Yeah. A time delay. So it took a, a picture every five minutes, one still picture from the second floor of City Hall looking up Main Street. And then Sue was very involved in transcribing that, which is essentially saying, how frequently are cars turning over? And one of the things we found out was that the meters, uh, the meters at that time expired at 4 p.m., I think. Or maybe it was six. Something like that. It was at six, but you got six. two hours yeah. on the meter. Yeah. And so the spots we were we were discovering were being filled up by many of the restaurant workers in the restaurants there. So they were going there. They were coming in at four o'clock. They put money in the meter, but their cars were there all the rest of the evening. They weren't turning over, so it was discouraging some spaces that otherwise would have been available for patrons. So that and that's was when it was full. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we also, very interesting. Was discovering that early in the morning, the meters had gone in effect at nine, I think, at that time. We discovered that, no, actually, the parking spaces are, are all vacant until about 1030. So stop enforcing before 1030. And, uh, you know, there's, you want to go and use your meters essentially to ration your limited space. And so this is a way of saying, look, there's no limited space here. So don't ration it. When it does become where there's an oversubscribed, there are more cars looking to park. Okay, now is when when you want to use your meters and your reinforcement. It's just good parking management. Well, as someone who used to own a business downtown and parking was uh, an issue, it's like, oh yeah, okay. I wanted to know more about what you've done there. But anyway, sorry. So, oh, Michael, was that one of your cars at six o'clock? <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, my 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 comic book store actually we had a, a, a parking. We were in a little plaza across from the post office and had a dedicated parking lot. So okay. anyway, but anyway, that's um, that's. Yeah, that's good. I just want to add into this this point. Uh our interviews with the with the mayoral candidates, um, we are recording this the week of of the of October eleventh. Uh so uh this interview, we are recording it on the fourteenth. It will be airing on the twenty second, uh, for okay. everybody listening. Just want to make every sure everybody knew that. Um, in case something comes up in the Exactly <laughs> <laughs> that we right. that we don't talk talk about. Right. Exactly. The reason why we didn't discuss Godzilla coming out of the Pacific oh, no. and crushing San Diego is because it hasn't happened. <laughs> we don't discuss that because the sh- the check cleared, Mike. Jeez. Oh, we were anyway, sworn to, sworn to silence. Exactly. We, As we, you we, can tell, my bad. paid off. We yeah. Are, um, we're, so we're uh, quite a. If I here. can ask, a, why are you running for mayor? Well, a few reasons. One, uh, you know, I entered the race towards the end of June. At that point, I was, uh, I guess I was the last person to enter. But it was partly because I saw in the other candidates that th- there was a lack of the qualifications that I thought would be appropriate for somebody in the mayor's office. Look, we've got a strong mayor form of government. That's a technical term used by the state of Massachusetts, where the idea is that a great deal of power is vested in the mayor. We don't have an uh, appointed city manager it is the mayor who runs the departments, who sets the budget, uh, who hires and fires, who does the collective bargaining. These are the tasks of the mayor. 
And it, for a, for an organization with a $120 million budget, 1,000 employees, 26 departments, it seems like you should have somebody in there who has some professional experience uh, of understanding management in large organizations, who has been at the bargaining table, which is one of the things I do for transit agencies around the country. So I was prepared in that regard, and it didn't seem like a lot of the other candidates did have that experience. The second piece was that uh, in 2020, the city council uh, voted to go and cut the police budget at, over the course of a single city council meeting in response to what struck me as loud voices, largely out-of-towners. This is one of those issues where I felt that the elected officials are people you have to trust. These are the ones who you say, you do your homework here. You choose course, uh, a course for the city that is in the best interest of the city as a whole. And in this regard, it seemed to me they were doing their homework. They responded rashly over a single city council meeting. And they weren't looking for the best interests of the city as a whole. Uh, one of those people was Gina Luisiara, who made that vote to cut the funds. And I felt that this was, as relative to my common cause background, a time when you should, when it's uh, critical to hold power accountable, in this case, electorally accountable. And so that's why I put my hat in the ring, those two reasons. So you don't believe in defunding the police? You may want to go and defund the police, but you certainly don't do it over the course of a single city council meeting. You have to go and evaluate it. The issue you want to look at is, are we, and I'm not talking about defunding, nobody's talking about getting rid of the entire police department. There was an organization, Northampton Abolition Now, that was talking about a 50% cut. But even with the 10% cut that city council did, the consequences have been severe. One of the things, it was immediately counterproductive because the city was still obliged to meet its collective bargaining agreement with the police union and the people with the lowest seniority were two people in the police academy and they were people who would have added uh, a racial ethnic diversity to the police force we also had goals to make the police uh, police cars more environmentally friendly move them in from a gas vehicle to a to a hybrid vehicle but once the city council budget cut the the police department over a single city council meeting well, that idea was scrapped. So in that regard, it was had to get changed too. Look, you may want to go and cut your police force, but you have to do it by looking at, well, what is the number of calls that the police get for emergency service? What is the nature of those calls? Uh, what is the distribution of those calls over the course of 24 hours? Police is a basic city service. There are metrics and there are performance standards that, that we I completely agree with everything you're saying, but I just, you're responding a a, a little bit generally because you're saying you may want to and it's like it's not about what i want to in this in this context because okay. i'm not running i'm asking you do you want to cut the budget of the northampton police department or expand it like what 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 are you proposing that isn't uh a a, a decision over one city council session sure michael I, I don't think you want to go and cut the city the police budget uh partly because i think they said to make up for the shortfall they had this past year, they were stretched very thin. They did not have the manpower to meet the expected requirements for all the shifts. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that of all the city departments over the last 10 years, between FY 2012 and the FY 2022 budget, none of the departments went up as little as did the police department. So the police now have a much smaller share of the total city operating budget than it did in 2012. They were at you think I think it was 5.6%. Now they're at 5.1% of the budget. So it's not like this 
massive militarized force that's eating up 50% of our budget anyway. It's a small share of our budget. And yeah. yet it's been taken the, the brunt of uh, some brunt of, of social antagonism here. And, and I think, again, it shouldn't have been dealt with rashly. Look, there are some things that any competent mayor and the police chief should be looking at. Is our overtime in the police force uh, uh, applied reasonably? Is there, are we managing in the way that maybe would be cheaper overall if we hired additional person? Um, are we getting a full value out of the, uh, uh, the educational incentive pay that we're providing for the police officers? But look, these are things that you deal with through management or collective bargaining. And that's appropriate. The policemen's union would expect us to deal with that through management or collective bargaining. But cutting the force, cutting the budget over the course of a single city council meeting was a rash, thoughtless decision. And it did call for some electoral accountability. Hey, Mark, didn't didn't that happen like two weeks before the fiscal year? And well, that's that they had to just it was pretty close to the end of the fiscal year, right? It was right before the July 1st. Well, there. so it was for the FY21 budget. So, yes, it was in July. That's the cycle of the city's budget. In yes. July is when the city council then goes and votes on the budget that the mayor prepares. City council does not have authority in Northampton to shift funds or to add funds to any department, but it does have one, one power granted by the charter. It can cut funds from a department. So those funds then go into what's referred to as free cash. So they can't be spent unless there's additional appropriation submitted by the mayor. Um, but this was a, a COVID time, too, so there were some oddities going on then. But it was for the FY21 budget. So for FY21, for the full fiscal year, which uh, was a, you know, 12 months, the police department did not have the budget that they would have had. Now, in FY22, uh, and I think, you know, partly was my op-ed in the Daily Hampshire Gazette about this in April, um, they recognized that, okay, this was a mistake. And several, the, the vote originally in 2021, FY, no, in FY20 or in FY21, the vote made in July 2020, it was a six to three vote to cut the budget. Uh, in July 2021, this year, in preparation for the FY22 budget, the vote in city council was one in favor of cutting the budget and eight who felt that, no, this was a mistake last year and we owe it to the police department to fully fund them. And that's what they did. Thank so, you. Uh, a lot of what you're saying is about um, like uh, fiscal um, fiscal policy and, and uh, uh, especially like on this topic, um, making sure that the, uh, I'm hearing a lot about budget and about um, uh, how how we pay for things, where funds should be allocated, things like that. You were running for mayor, wouldn't this? This is a lot of stuff about. Uh, wouldn't it be like? I I honestly don't know if we have like a comptroller or uh, or a treasurer um, that that's an elected of uh, position or a moved uh, to appointed, but yeah, there's a treasurer. Yeah, uh, or um, a a like a like a, a council like a position on the council. Um, is there? Yeah, yeah. I guess there is no. What we do have is is a, a finance director, and the finance director does work for the mayor. And the finance directors that we've had the last two 
have have been very competent. Uh, and uh, one of them who has been the finance director for a long time has retired now and is a replacement now, who also, I, I believe, is, is very capable of doing the job very well. But it still is the, the mayor, the mayor's office, with the department heads uh, that do, well, generally the process works by the, the mayor meets with the department heads and they work out a uh, the, what the general parameters of the budget are going to be. This is when they're looking and forecasting what is going to be the property tax revenue, the sales and use tax, the, the fund money that the city would get from the state, a small amount from the federal government. Uh, and many of these issues are, are you know, were clobbered um, this past couple of years because of COVID. Our hotels and meals tax, you know, pretty much vanished. But much of our parking revenue uh, was lost. Uh, so there was, uh, and then, you know, luckily the federal government came through with a great deal of money. So the state has been able to make up for a lot of it. But we also had a Proposition 2.5 override in 2020, but the mayor then delayed that for a year, again, because of, uh, of COVID. It didn't seem like a proper time to go and put that in, in, in place. Um, but this was all, it's the mayor's role in working with the school committee to set the general parameters, and then the departments go and department heads go and say, okay, I've got this much money, I've got you know $10 million to work with. What are the what are the programs that I can meet given that amount? Am I level funded? Am I lost? Uh, there gotcha. are some management techniques that I would seek to change, but only then does after that's done does the mayor then go back to later on in, in the spring um, present a budget to the city council, saying here is my proposed budget for FY22. Uh, and there's a budget message that says these are things that we're cutting. Here's our expectations in terms of revenue. Um, here's our, our here's what this means in terms of uh, our benchmarking of our property taxes against other communities uh, in the Pioneer Valley. So that's what it does. And then and then say and here's where I've added funds and this is what I hope to do. There's a separate capital budget, the enterprise funds for sewer, stormwater, uh, water. Um, and solid waste are done differently. Those are, we pay fees for those rather than property taxes. But this is all the mayor's doing. And then the city council will hold a hearing uh, in June. This is where they get to speak with the budget heads who make the budget, I mean, the department heads of each of the different departments. And they make a presentation and you hope that the council then uses its times wisely, time wisely to go and ask thoughtful questions. Um, or to understand at least why the mayor has proposed the budget as he or she has. Um, I found in the past that the council generally hasn't really used that. I don't know if you know about this, but six years ago, I ran for city council. I ran at large. Um, again, that was in, at that point, it was an ethical breach that prompted me to run. But one of the issues I was also aware of is it just struck me in watching those budget hearings that the council didn't seem to be using that clear opportunity to go and really delve into the budget hearings. Is this really the right level of service? Is this the, are, are, is this the right choice of programs uh, for the city? Uh, how is this working? And I feel, you know, much of the case since then, they've continued to just focus on a lot of, I think, referendum or resolutions and sometimes a lot of social issues that are are not focused on areas that should be their primary purview and their primary expertise, i.e. the city of Northampton. 
So one of the, uh, and this is something we talked a little bit uh, with uh, uh, Ms. Shara last week, and also we've had uh, Chief Jody Casper on the show a couple of times talking about issues with the Northampton Police Department. So uh, obviously one of the things that the mayor has to do uh, in terms of setting the budgets and whatnot is think about, uh, you know, the view of what are the priorities for uh, the city government, you know, what are the programs, uh, you know, and, and policies that we should be pursuing and how do we pursue them and whatnot. And that's, that's what the budgets are for. But um, the uh, reason why people have been talking about defunding the police or uh, cutting their budgets and reallocating the funds to other things uh, is that, you know, the, the national, crisis of police uh, brutality, which I don't think is like a huge problem in Northampton. I'm not trying to, you know, say we're not the police in Ferguson, you know, tear gassing people. But nevertheless, like the concern, like, oh, hey, there's a there's a problem with somebody's having a mental health wellness issue or whatever. Do we need to send somebody, you know, an armed person in body armor to go and deal with this problem? Wouldn't it make more sense to send a mental health professional or a social worker or whatever? And so that proposal is something that Ms. Shiar talked about, for example. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, do you think that's a that's a good idea that the city should be moving towards that sort of that sort of vision? Like when people talk about defunding the police, you know, I mean, unless a, a few radicals are like, ah, police is terrible. We want to get rid of them. But I'm like, I like police. Uh, I just like police to be doing what they're actually good for and, and should be doing. And yeah, do we do we need uh, uh, armed officers dealing with all the calls that the police currently deal with? Yeah. And so what do you think about that? Is Do, do you agree that we need to reform and maybe expand and, and uh, uh, change how the city is operating and, and deals with, with these kinds of problems or not? Michael, sure. I mean, and you're right. The the you know George Floyd's murder and the full Black Lives Matter movement do call for not just reckoning. Uh, you know, in in cities, the countries where there have been these cases of of clear police brutality, uh, outrageous, uh, but also throughout the whole country. Look, this is an opportunity to go and look at the nature of policing here, and Northampton should learn from those experiences. And between the, the chief of police, the mayor, with the input of the city council as well, we have to be asking those questions. What is the proper role here? What is the proper role in response to a mental health case, to uh, to um, to various various other types of situations? If there's a, a the nature of policing and criminal activity or otherwise within downtown, these are things that you have to ask. It is appropriate, too, to go and say, should what should be the level of the policing? The uh, uh, what should be the potential use? The use of potentially deadly deadly force, officer training, uh, social serve the response to social service goal, and certainly tracking and disciplining of, of bad officers. Um, and certainly, you know, the issue too is is not just where there has been an incident, but even throughout the rest of the country, you can still have a case where it is a routine institutionalized process. Uh, of uh, of harassment to people of color. I don't believe that is the case here. And I think Chief Jody Kaspar has certainly embraced and reflects the values of 
of uh, here in Northampton in that regard, too. But if there is any program like this, this was the issue with stop and frisk in New York. It got it just went crazy and it clearly had become just a harassment policy. And the mayor of New York had to go and change that policy. And you don't want to have any program that has that harassment or anything that even looks like that has that harassment. No, you treat all your citizens fairly and, and you apply the laws equally. You know, I think the Department of Community Cares is a, a very valuable step for the city. So I'm glad to see that the city is doing that. But I don't feel that its primary role is going to be as an emergency response. The, dis the dispatch operation we have, when somebody calls 911, it is a separate dispatch. It is not the police department, but a separate dispatch facility in Northampton that then is very capable of sizing up the call. What is the response? Is this fire? Is this police? Is this ambulance? And they will be able to go and also gauge, is this a social service call that doesn't require any of the above? But it still is a case where you don't know what the situation is going to be. Is this a case where there could be... You know, somebody going nuts uh, and being violent. You know, you speak to a lot of people in the mental health, uh, the mental health field. And, you know, they say, no, this cannot be our role. We would not make that call without a police or without an armed escort, because we do know how these things can be can go out of control. And, and I'm not prepared to go and handle that. But the city would be able to do it. I think the Department of Community Cares, I think their biggest role uh, and the next mayor will have a role in this as well in helping to set this up, is largely going to be in terms of outreach. Being able to go and, and have that outreach with people who are substance abusers, who are having mental health problems, who are, are jobless, who are, are down and out for whatever reason. And this will be an opportunity for the city to interact with those people, find out what is needed there, and, and hopefully provide the services that can make their lives easier. Okay. So, uh, so you're in favor of like, as mayor, you would pursue a policy of, uh, you know, expanding, uh, uh, the, the city's ability to help people, uh, in, in ways that don't necessarily involve the police department, um, or that would change things that are currently handled by the police to, uh, this community care department or some other uh, city. Uh, uh, well, one thing to keep in mind too, Michael, is I don't think the police are handling a lot of these calls now. It is, you know, a lot of the, the city, the, the police, in many ways, I, I feel that sort of they've compromised a little bit of their professional mission. I think they've just detached themselves from downtown. And maybe it's a response to the defunding last year. Maybe this is a particular direction of the of, of from the city government right now that, no, we're not going to pursue a lot of criminal measures. But look, I don't think that a mental health or, or, or poverty is something that does call for criminalization. But I think at a certain point when you are being drug dealing or aggressive panhandling, blocking the sidewalk, trespassing, larceny, well, these are criminal. Uh, and I don't feel that the city that the city should neglect the needs of the, the quality of life or the effectiveness of the, the downtown businesses to be able to attract patrons. You know, in a way, there is a, a bit of a police role, and it has to be there as a last resort. But I do feel that the uh, many of the people with mental health issues, dealing with homelessness, um, dealing with uh, addiction, 
they're not getting the services they need. And I, ho- I certainly hope that with the Department of Community Cares, that the city will now have an avenue to, to interact and find the types of services that can be most helpful for these people and then pursue some of those measures. Well, that's a that's a good place to sort of pause here because we're at the halfway point here in the show. So we're going to take a brief moment to play some PSAs, promos, and station IDs. Uh, but we'll be back with more uh, speaking with Mark Warner, candidate for mayor of Northampton, here on Civil Politics on Valley Free Radio. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's Subculture Music Program, featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXLJ, or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. Tune in to Evidence-Based Radio, science and skepticism from a feminist and socialist perspective. Every week, we explore the interesting and important stories in science with a focus on the positive. Friday nights from 6 to 7 on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM, or at evidencebasedarada.com. That's 6 to 7 p.m. Fridays on Valley Free Radio. We're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm still Michael Dow, and John Roberts, Sue Timberlake, and I are still uh, welcoming Mark Warner, candidate for mayor of the fair city of Northampton, uh, to talk about, uh, well, what he wants to do if he gets the job and uh, what he thinks the city needs to do, whether or not he gets the job. Uh, so, uh, Sue, you actually had, uh, uh, a question that was burning a hole in your pocket. So I'm actually going <laughs> to do this thing that I tr- have trouble doing. I'm going to shut up and listen for a bit. Yeah. So- we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how long it lasts. Um, <laughs> We hire Mike for the, um, yeah, the uh, color commentary. So we were talking a little bit about the police and you were talking about sort of downtown and, you know, some of the issues there. And I was wondering um, what uh, Pulaski Park was getting to be a spot where there were a lot of folks and a lot of needles and, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on there. And I think a, a month or two ago, they cleared Pulaski Park. I I actually didn't follow this that closely, but I guess the question for you, Mark, is what, you know, what you would have done, what you'd like to see there or how you think they handled it. Anything along those lines would be of interest. Sure. Well, the event that triggered the police police. action to clear the park was, uh, was in fact a stabbing. So it was a 
that there was a serious catalyst, a serious incident. Uh, in a way, I feel the city should have acted earlier. You know, Pulaski Park's main function is a park. Uh, I took my kids there when they were little. There was a climbing structure there they loved. Uh, but uh, and we recently invested a great deal of money to make it a, a much more attractive public space there. And it's very nice. But it is not functioning as a park. I don't think, can't imagine anybody would take their kids there now. And yeah, there are needles hanging around. And it's, it's can be very unpleasant. Look, Northampton is a compassionate, it is a decent, it is a, in addition to, of course, being a very tolerant city. And in many ways, it, it has the resources that it can deal with some of these issues. But it has to get the will to go and act. The Department of Community Cares should help with this. The affordable housing measures that we have in place should help with this. You know, dealing with uh, mental health, uh, dealing with uh, you know, addiction services. These are tough problems. Many of these people are really down and out. And many of them are coming to Northampton because we are very compassionate and because it's easier than the streets of, of Holyoke, Springfield or Chicopee. It's more welcoming in that regard, too. But we also have to be compassionate to our businesses in downtown. Look, our businesses are are facing a very tough, a very tough year with COVID, with challenges competition from Amazon with, uh, uh, you know, with, with issues of, of, of now questions about, about parking, have to deal with, with the masks. Uh, you know, this, uh, they're in a tough environment. It is our, it is our businesses. It is our employment. It is much of our property, uh, our uh, property tax and much of our uh, hotels and meals tax. And it's much of our quality of life. And all of those are compromised because people are not going downtown because it is becoming such an unpleasant place. And, uh, you know, the city can't can't just abandon that that part of the equation. Look, if we really lose out on some of the some of the employment and some of the revenue and some that we get as a city from the downtown, we won't have the budget to deal with the problems that downtown is facing. So we have to be aware. Don't go and kill your goose with the gold that lays the golden eggs here. And, you, you know, again, you, you can be compassionate, but everything has to be on the table. And if the, you know, if the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office, you know, can come up with something not from a criminal perspective, but, you know, can look to use some resources that they have, you know, we shouldn't just automatically dismiss it as being contrary to our social goals. We have to go and figure out what will work best for the city as a whole. Okay. Thank you. That's a good idea. <laughs> so there's a... um. So you want to make sure that we have a compassionate um, government structure. We have a we have people in government that um, make sure to take care of the people. But uh, we also need to uh, measure that against. Um, I know it, it. I'm not trying to make it sound negative, but the only th way I can think of describing, you know, business interests and making sure that the that businesses in in uh in Northampton, um, especially on Main Street around Pulaski Park, uh, they they have client they have the the space to feel safe to run those businesses, and that makes sure that the city uh, has sufficient revenue to take care of the of of the citizens' life that in a way that you like. Is that? Yeah, I mean, that has to be part of it. It's not just the revenue for the city, but it is also our employment and it is also our quality of life. Right. You know, Northampton has been, uh, you know, it's, you look at downtown, there are a lot of empty storefronts now. Some of it is COVID, some of it is 
is landlords who are just asking on reasonable amounts of money and they're willing to let their properties lay vacant for a long time. But, you know, while we are suffering from those issues, well, a lot of other cities are too. And uh, East Hampton, its commercial district is certainly seems to be ascendant and and thriving where ours seems to be losing some of its uh, momentum. And I think that uh, it is important to make sure that we do have a thriving uh, a thriving downtown business sector, and we want to do what we can to make sure that it can prosper. That prosperity is what fuels so much of the rest of our quality of life, and it fuels a great deal of our city budget. And if we don't have that, then we cannot provide the services that are that can be directed to programs and individuals that need it most. So, how, so you say that um, East Hampton. East Hampton's business district is ascendant. So what are your plans to counteract that and like make, make Northampton's business dish, districts and, and, uh, and commercial areas uh, ascendant again? Well, I'm going to help start by helping make sure that it doesn't get worse. So we have a lot of things <laughs> right now that are, that are threats to the downtown, uh, downtown businesses. Uh, and I'm not just talking about ongoing COVID issues or, or issues with regard to panhandling. Uh, and, you know, some look, if you're out on, on uh, during the summer when they had the tables out on Strong Avenue, which was a really great feature, I, I thought that was terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were enjoying a cup of coffee or something, and it gets affected by, you know, one person screaming his lungs out. And so that's a tough one where you have to make that balance. But the other one with the city is that you now have this issue with the downtown redevelopment, the downtown reimagining Main Street, re-envisioning Main Street. And there is uh, there is not a clear understanding of what would be the consequences in terms of parking or accessibility uh, to the downtown or the effect on through traffic that goes along Main Street. If we remove uh, a couple of travel lanes and have just one lane in each direction with a central left turning lane, well, that's going to cut back the throughput in downtown. And many of those cars that are now going along Main Street are going to be crowding on Gothic or State or Finn or Pleasant or Cons or the streets around it. So we really need to understand, or Masonic, we need to understand what is going to be the consequences of this for other blocks. Do we lead to a slower throughput, more traffic, less accessibility to downtown, which is less, which is no, even worse for business? So, you know, the city did, maybe we're moving on to this other thing, but I'll get back to the employment issues or for the economic activity in the downtown. But, but you know, the city did promise that they would be doing this transportation, a comprehensive transportation analysis with the different options for envisioning Main Street. But so far, those have not happened and the tools are out there to do it. And so I certainly expect that they will. I certainly would insist on it as a mayor. The other ones with downtown are issues that the city has a role in our issues of property tax, the hotels and meals tax. <clears throat> I, the city right now has a, a, a sort of a, a, an equal property tax for residential use and for commercial use. I think that's advisable. Uh, you don't want to go and change that now. Uh, I don't think that would be fair to those businesses. I don't think it would be in the interest of the city as a whole. You want to be able to go and streamline the process for getting a business permit uh, or for redoing, redesigning uh, the outside, the facade of your storefront or the inside of it. There may be some zoning opportunities you can have to go and reflect some of the changes of land use uh, and the need for it. You know, if we're moving away from 
the heaviest industries and where there's more mixed use opportunities, let's make sure that we still have spaces in Northampton to find room for those uses. Uh, I think there are things we can do with Smith Vogue as a sort of a technical training ground. Let's find the types of skills that these businesses are going to need and see if there's a program that would be appropriate to have in Smith Vogue. So these are things that, that a mayor can do with regard to trying to maintain the business downtown. You know, be a booster for it, too. So, you know, seek out businesses, try and cajole and persuade those landlords that are keeping vacant properties vacant for way too long. So far that it can't possibly be in their own best interest, but we have limited tools otherwise to do it. So you know, these are the types of things you do. But overall, you never stop thinking about what can we do to make sure Northampton is a prosperous, healthy fair, just, and sustainable city, and uh, making sure our downtown is thriving is one way to keep that going. What, um, do you, do you have any ideas about what to do about, um, the, the empty storefronts? I, I know that they, you know, they're private property and everything, but does the mayor's office have any, uh, any recourse to, uh, let's say convince, um, people to uh, look into renting uh, that those storefronts are selling those storefronts so they can actually be used again. Yeah, I, Michael, this is a tough one. I mean, this isn't a case where you can use. Uh, this is genre, way. by the way. Oh, Just, I'm, I'm sorry, genre. <laughs> I, I, sorry, that's right. Uh, it isn't a case where you can use eminent domain, uh, which would be, you know, the sort of the strongest action that the city could take to take over the property because it's not a public purpose. You can't make that case. Uh, you know, and this is also where a landlord is paying his or her property taxes, is maintaining his or her property enough. You know, there's no recourse that the city can have. You know, I, I don't know if there are other techniques that the state allows, but I would certainly hope to have a meeting with these landlords to say, OK, look, what what is your what what do you wait? What are you holding out for? You know, you got, you, you, it's really you're just thumbing your nose at downtown, the city as a whole. Is there really no? What does it take here to try and make this into a more vibrant city? You know, one of the landlords, one of the biggest landlords in downtown Orphans is Eric Sewer, and he was objecting, and he has a lot of those vacant properties, uh, and he had objected in the past to the downtown Northampton Association and the bid the business improvement district, uh, you know, the, the city has, he's also the owner of the Iron Horse Group, and the city had sought, among others, to make sure that the Iron Horse Group was complying with uh, with a variety of, of, of labor laws and condition rules for its uh, for its employees and the musicians who, who use those venues. You know, uh, he may have sort of a lasting, you know, grudge against the city, but... <clears throat> You know, maybe it takes a new mayor to try and say, look, uh, you know, Eric, other landlords in this situation, you know, what can we do as a city and working with you collaboratively to try and get those storefronts active again? You know, if you're holding out for $30 a square foot rent, you know, when, you know, someplace is lucky to get 21 and East Hampton's charging 17, but, you know, is this really the, is it, what are you holding out for? <laughs> you know? I remember where my dad lived. There was a Baskin Robbins. The guy, the guy tripled the rent on it one day. And so he went out of business. And, you know, and I felt it was a, I love that Baskin Robbins, but I felt it was completely 
you know, a little bit of justice there that the spot was vacant for two years before the guy finally realized, okay, nobody's going to pay this triple the rent that you asked for. I don't know. Maybe we're going to get to the point where he just gives up and says, okay, fine, you know, $21 a square foot or something. But yeah, let's see what we can do. You know, if there's anything the city can do, let's make the, the business permitting process, the redesign process, make sure that it's being done fairly, that it's being done with a complete transparency and integrity. Let's make, make sure that it's being done, you know, smoothly. Maybe there's something like that that can help the process too, or maybe just a new face in city hall will make a difference too. You've, you've said the word integrity a lot yeah. uh, over the course of the interview. Is that, that, that seems to be, I mean, that, and that's also on your website. Um, and the, and the other thing is well run. Uh, so why can you, t can you go into more about like uh, the, um, what you feel is if there's something lacking in integrity in North in how Northampton is run and, and does that have to do with it being a well-run city or is that just something that is just really important to you, but you don't think that is an issue with uh, current city government? Uh, well, okay. It's funny. I guess I didn't realize that I say integrity a lot. Maybe it is one of my, my little ticks. There in my <laughs> yes, it is something that I am deeply committed to. Uh, integrity matters. Uh, look, integrity I'm is integral to your worldview. Uh, it, <laughs> it's one of the three things on the bottom of your and, and of every website in, page in, on your site. <laughs> in those notes, in the, in many of my op eds in the Daily Hampshire Gazette, you know, when I was complaining about, you know, I took this view about about Donald Trump. Look, it's this is an integrity issue. Be a Republican, you want to be a Republican, be a Republican, but not him, because it's an issue of integrity in his conduct that I thought disqualified him from any level of public service. But the issue of integrity is important to a well-run city. It is a piece of what we do. And one of the pieces here that I think is uh, appropriate is that, that I do bring up as well is that the city government should not yield to uh, loud voices and it should not yield to powerful players. If there's a particular real estate interest that wants you to that wants the city to change the zoning code because it's hoping to get a because a, some type of change that would help their convenience or their profits, look, that's not in the city's best interest. That's not the city's goal, and it should not yield its its zoning for that. That is a breach of integrity. If there is a uh, if there is a contractor who wants to go and you know, grease the skids for for you know concrete or to or to pave a road or to build a building. You know, that's not integrity. No, all of these things, any procurement that's done by the city, and the city procures a lot. You know, uh, is something that must be done with completely fair procurement processes. You know, I've signed over fifty contracts with government agencies over the past twenty nine years, and all of those have been through competitive bids. Uh, and there have been a couple where I've thought, you got to be kidding. I, I lost to this guy. Wait a minute. Wait, they bid three times more than what I did. You know, this is where I started thinking something's off on this. Look, I'm not accusing the city of Northampton of that. But there are, there are safeguards that have to be put in place for procurement, for contracting, for human resources, for hiring. All of these have to be done with complete integrity. And there is no... You know, no organization should seek to go and get a uh, look. I, I 
you know, I, no, people have asked me, Mark, you know, would you like the endorsement of our group? And I will go and say, well, all right, you know, sure. If you and I will fill out a questionnaire, but I make very clear in that that no, I'm look, there is no integrity matters here. This is central to who I am. There's no quid I, pro quo. Who no. I would be as a as a <laughs> as a mayor. Yes, there is no quid pro. I will never compromise the best interest of the city as a whole for any convenience or profits of any individual special interest. They are special interests. No, the the reason why I've been on the board of Common Cause for the last 18 years is because I deeply feel this commitment to integrity and honorability in, in public service. On a, on a different note, um, the Coca-Cola plant closing do you have any comments about that, or is that going to be a huge hole? What did you guys say last week? Three over three hundred jobs. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, and there was some investment that we made as a city so that we could handle their um, water requirements. I I wondered what you thought of the or the Smith and Wesson plant in Springfield is sort oh. of losing these big companies out here in Western Mass. No, this is a big blow to Northampton, uh, 312, 320 jobs when the plant closes down. Uh, and when that story broke in the Daily Hampshire Gazette, I immediately sent a letter to the mayor and uh, the economic development person in the mayor's office to find out if, if, if they knew anything more than what was in the, uh, the report in the Daily Hampshire Gazette. But I, I didn't hear back from that, but I, I have found out from other sources that, yes, the, the city did make a big investment in terms of providing additional water to the coke plant. We also made a big investment in our sewage treatment plant. So it may be that from the city's coffers, the amount of money we got from property tax has not made up from what we invested. On the other hand, it was also something where it was a great deal of employment, over 300 jobs. Look, I don't think that the city should be in the business of uh, of looking to give tax breaks or deals to individual companies. I, I've read in order to attract the company to come to Northampton or to stay here, I've read enough scholarly reports from uh, from academics as well as from practitioners, you know, others, managers and mayors of other cities to know that this is a game that we generally don't have to play. On the other hand, and Coke may be an example of this, Look, they reached a tipping point. Uh, something prompted them, maybe it was just the end of their of their financial deal with the city, to say, okay, we're going to pull up stakes and leave the city. We have to be aware as a city government of what is the tipping point for other businesses. We don't want to be caught blind that some other business now feels, okay, we're pulling up stakes as well. Maybe there is something that we could do, a small investment a change in rates that would be helpful to them, to that company, while also being fair to other ratepayers or other taxpayers in the city. So I would be aware of that, but let's make sure that we know what is the condition of these businesses so that we don't find ourselves losing other businesses before other businesses pull up stakes from the city. Anyway, I am hoping that another a bottling company, maybe a brewery comes in and, and can take that space. Uh, look, one thing that we do have here is we've got a lot of water. We had the foresight to go and, and build that uh, reservoir up in Williamsburg. We've actually recently closed one of our, our reservoir, the Upper Roberts Reservoir. So, uh, you know, we've got um, 
we have some water to spare. So that's a positive and maybe somebody else can find it. And I hope that we have some other positive things in our city that will make, continue to make the city attractive, not just to residents, but to businesses as well. That makes that makes sense. So you wouldn't uh, if uh, when when Coca-Cola leaves, you wouldn't offer a new business, a big tax break to come in and take over the, no. the, the site. OK, no, I would not. <clears throat> well, that makes sense. <laughs> Sue, I know you had a. Yeah, like you a, had a laundry list, Sue. A laundry list. So let's, uh, let's go with the next one. Well, I didn't want to step on you guys because you seem to have, be on a roll. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about the removal of the cherry trees from that. Um, it's a public. They were going to repave the street. And uh, it sounds like it was quite a an adventure. That one I followed a little closer, but um, it sounds like there was a shade tree committee public meeting that didn't happen. But they cut down the trees before they, they before it went to court so that it was moot by the time it got to court. So I, I may not be characterizing it the way you would, but are are you familiar with it? You may not be. Of course, Mark. yeah. No, that, you are. Was yeah. On, that was going on through the summer. I had a, I was very, I had quite a few um, email exchanges with residents on Warfield Place, the street where the cherry trees were. Uh, you know, and I, those the nature of some of those. Right at the end, I, I asked, "Is this something that?" You know, and I, I was seeking to go and understand, is there already a sidewalk, at least on one side of the street? What is the condition of the cherry trees? Is this something, is your view of seeking to delay the repaving on the road uh, something that is felt by all the other residents on the block? Um, and, you know, and, and there's some of the questions were answered, some of them were not. Um, but I also feel that this was something that had gotten, it wasn't just an issue of, of, Paving or not, and what was the best course for this street? It got nasty. People were some of the some of the, the response from people on the in the neighborhood was uh, getting really as as nasty as anybody, you know, with a you know holding a, a Trump flag. They weren't willing to go and you know march on City Hall. I don't know, maybe they were, but uh, this wasn't the January 6th insurrection, but it was something where it got nasty and people were asking the, all the mayoral candidates to say that they would go and immediately, you know, have a call for Donald Scalia, the head of DPW's head uh, on their first day of office. And I just felt like, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Donald Scalia uh, has, was, was following the interests of the city on this one with regard to the trees on Warfield Place. There is a pavement management system, and I know, and I'm sure every other candidate who has knocked on doors knows that a lot of people's interest, a lot of people's interest is when is the city going to pave my street? And uh, look, I don't think the city should go and, you know, choose to pave a street based on on just demands by individuals, uh, residents of the street, and especially if it's the type of thing of saying. Hey, we've got we've got high-end homes here. We pay a disproportionate share of taxes. We think the city should pave our street first. No, there is a pavement management system in place in the city. And if the warrants show that this one's been on the list for 10 years, it has now risen up to the up to the top there. And it is in falling, it's falling apart. And in this case, a warfield place, you had trees that were old and falling apart, and you had sidewalks that were not uh, that were in terrible state of disrepair. You know, you don't want it be unfair to one group and then or, you know, push some other street ahead of it. 
you know, when, when they're not otherwise on that list. So you, you do want some objective measures for the pavement. The city's got it and that's what they like. So, but with just with regard to that one too, it's a, look, I, I think that the work has been, is underway now, it's almost finished. Maybe by the time this airs, the, the street will be repaved. It'll look pretty good. And I think people are wondering, what was all this up about? <laughs> Any way to uh, contact you just so we make sure we have it on the show? Sure. Uh, you can go to my website, warnerformayor.com. And uh, or you can email me at mark, M-A-R-C, at warnerformayor.com. And the uh, phone number is 413-588-6998. It's been a, an enjoyable campaign, and this show has been part of those enjoyable moments. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And all that information <laughs> will be on the website under this, under, under this show and in the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, we'll also throw up a link to Common Cause because that's actually a good organization. So um, that's going to do it for civil politics tonight here on Valley Free Radio. We've got subculture coming up at 8, followed by table of contents at 10, and then OK Asia at midnight. We do a podcast version of the show that goes out over the streaming services in the wee hours of Monday morning. And we have a repeat airing of this show at 4 p.m. on Mondays uh, here on Valley Free Radio. So listen to us all over again. And that'll do it for now. Uh, Thanks for listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Good night. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com.